from Stanford. I'm a medical doctor, uh, working in psychiatry at the moment, uh, also yoga teacher, uh, training yoga therapy with Colin, please. Hi, welcome everyone. Um, welcome to probably one of the most, um, I would say challenging um, set of conditions that we're kind of looking to discuss. Um, Personality disorder is, is kind of interesting. I'm Andrew Colin Dunsmuir. I'm a, a yoga therapist. And in the last 25 years, I've come across numbers of different personality disorders. At the time, I didn't realize they were personality disorders. In fact, I didn't really understand what a personality disorder was. Um, it, can I hand back to you, Stanford, with the first question um because i think we're going to take a couple of different approaches and the approach that you're going to take is to look at personality disorder from a western perspective um and, and also being in psychiatry it probably helps quite a bit as well so i'm going to lean on you just a touch if that's okay um so you've got this side which is the western side i'd also like to talk about it from and look at it from very clearly from this perspective from the eastern side too. Now within this I'm going to encourage all of you that are attending to please if you want to ask questions please ask questions because it's a very 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 interesting area um, and I'm just hoping that we can we can give a very good framework around it um, and not go drill down into too much technical detail but just a very good framework so you can understand a little bit more the two different perspectives. Um, Stanford over to you please. No problem. Uh, fine. So I think I will stick to the medical side for now and go with the WHO, so the World Health Organization classification. So personality disorder is characterized by problems in functioning of an aspect of life and or interpersonal dysfunction that will have persisted over an extended period of time and the disturbance usually associated with um, substantial distress or significant impairment in personal, family, social, educational, occupational, or others, if that is possible, um, important areas of functioning. So what that really goes into is, first of all, uh, extend the period of time. As we all know, personality is, is kind of probably one of the hardest area to um, describe because when does our personality actually really really emerge is uh, can be constant discussion already i think from uh, the western mental health psychiatry point of view we will say that usually get really firmly developed around the late teens or uh, early 20s but we can circle back that uh, to that later i'm sure colin will lean in with his perspective as well um because personally i sometimes feel our personality comes and emerges much later so an extended period of time within the definition it is not something like three months or six months, which in a lot of other medical conditions is already called chronic problem. It actually says some, somewhere around two years or more. So it really have to be really persistent and actually kind of pervasive in a lot of areas in of our life. And uh, these area uh, aspect of self, it actually comes into like our self-identity, self-worth, uh, the accuracy of um, how we see ourselves, so the self-view and also the self-direction. And the interna uh, interpersonal dysfunction really leans into um, ability to develop or maintain close and mutually satisfying relationships, ability to understand other people's perspective and also to manage conflicts in relationship. So <laughs> straight away, as Colin said, is 
probably one of the most difficult subject that we have to go through because it's just so broad. It, it touches on so many parts of our life and the areas, may I say, for dysfunction and disorders just so fast. Um, Colin, if it's okay, can I throw it back to you? Can, can you go into a little bit of the yoga perspective of personality to begin with? Because I think in the Western side, personality is kind of like a collection of characteristics that we have, like kind of traits that we have, especially as we grow older, as we grow up, and also kind of through our interaction, how we become more distinctive as an individual. That is how we describe a personality. I know something that we kind of all have and we kind of use that term quite commonly as well, you know, that guy has a really big personality or that woman has a very distinctive and attractive personality. But what it actually is, and I think hopefully, uh, as you always will do, uh, can you give us a little bit of a yogic perspective of that, please? In, in, in one way, um, personality and personality disorder is, it, it, yoga doesn't actually it's interesting, yoga and Sankhya philosophy, because I want to call them Sankhya philosophy as well. So yoga and Sankhya philosophy, in one way, don't answer that question. But in another way, they do answer it completely and utterly. And that's what I really love about it, because almost in a way, it takes the opposite view from the Western perspective, which I find very interesting. So it, it, it doesn't actually label, let's say, it doesn't create a label with regard to borderline personality disorder, with dependent personality disorder. It doesn't create labels in this way, but it works in completely the opposite direction. So it, it starts, um, and, and one the, if you don't mind, um, guys, I'll give you references from texts so that you can look these up a little later. Um, but it starts uh, with the understanding in the Sankhya Karika, um, which is, a supportive text to, to Yoga Sutra. So the two sort of combine support one another. As a yoga therapist, you probably need to know both of these. Um, the Sankhya character 2324 begin to, um, they look at two things. They look at um, the first concept, which is called buddhi, um, which is intelligence, a deep intelligence. And within this um, character, um, it, it, it says that there are eight dispositions of the deep intelligence within us. And that's before the personality or the ego actually appears, which is the next character. So it begins to sort of give an idea that within this character that we have these eight things. Um, on one side, we've got Dharma. We have um, what holds us in this world, what roles we take, these underlying things that are behind all the different rules that take place for our personality to actually start to appear. But opposite to Dharma, you've got something called Adharma. So there's an opposite in play and in force all the time. So this means that actually everything isn't all love and light in the background um, before our personality is in play. Actually, what's happening is that you've got these 50-50 things going on in the background. So you've got you know, a shadow and you've got a light that is occurring. So you've got the, the, the sort of this thing between dharma and adharma appearing so you have this within the first two of the buddhibhava then you've got jnana which is knowledge um, and both sankhya and yoga put a hell of a lot of sorry for saying hell of a lot um, they put a lot of emphasis on knowledge but what they mean by knowledge is not intellectual knowledge they mean it with regard to awareness and it's only by awareness and being aware of 
yourself, your interactions that you're having, like you mentioned with relationships, that you start to actually give yourself a possibility to evolve. So the emphasis within these is on getting knowledge, is beginning to really understand and get awareness about you, who you are, the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship with the world. There's only two possible relationships, one's with yourself and one's with the world. That's it. And to get a coherence between those two is one of the aims of yoga and one of the common promises within yoga as well. And then we've got the next, which is um, vairagyam. It's, it's, it's the capacity to detach from things. On the opposite side of it, we've got the attachment to things. So we've got, this is a constant battle that we've got going on. And so we find that attachment becomes very important because it's, it's, it's at the foundation of the personality. And then after this, we've also got Aishwarya, which is we've, we've got abilities that come out of the way that we use our knowledge, use our roles, use the way that we hold on to things and we move and do things in the world. And then we've got the opposite to this. We've actually got the incapacities that we put ourselves through. So before we actually get an ego, and ego is interesting in Sankhya Kerrigan 24, it defines ego as the principle of individualization. And I think that is very important because what it is, is it's the way that we create individual awareness, and individual references with everything that we actually relate to. So suddenly what we've got is we've got in the background, and I'm sorry, I'm trying to hope this is coming across clearly, um, and if it's not, please kind of say to me, you're being a bit weird and this is not coming across clearly. Um, in the background, we've got a, a, a reason. We've got a, a possible evolution that's going on in the background of ourselves, which is deep down intelligence to make us understand this process through Dharma, through knowledge, through into really understanding a lot more about ourselves. And then we've got this aspect of our personality that's developing. Um, and so Sankhya Karika 23 and 24 talk about this, but we then get Sankhya Karika 12 and 13, which is jumping earlier in the text, which explains that this deep intelligence, this bodhibhava, and this personality that we've got only exists thanks to an imbalance. So it means that our personality is an imbalance. And our evolution is also an imbalance as well. And it's occurring because of an imbalance of something called guna. Um, have you heard of guna? So guna is um, rajas, tamas, and sattva. So there's three guna. Because there's an imbalance of these three guna, and I'll explain just a bit more about what the guna is. Because there's an imbalance of these guna, it means you get intelligence and you get personality. So rather, if there was if they were in balance rather than imbalance, if they were in balance, there wouldn't be any existence. But because they are slightly out of balance, there is existence. So this is their point of view. It's kind of opposite from, does that make any sense? It's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's, 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 it's like it's a, it's a very, very interesting perspective because it's saying that in order to exist, you're out of balance. And so because this, this kind of framework that's supposed to be supporting itself is out of balance, you get a personality, you get a, um, you, you've got all this kind of this drive going on within you, you've got these attachments, you've got these desires, you've got all this other stuff going on. And so 
when we start to look at things like Rajas, Tamas and Sattva, you're, you're looking at Rajas as being movement, the way that you're any type of movement, any type of um, mobility, any type of excitement, any type of dynamicism, any type of um, activity, any type of energy. If you're looking at tamas, you're looking at any type of um, heaviness, inertia, structure, limiting, organization. So as I'm speaking to you, it, there's a movement of my words, but there's also structure in my words as well. And hopefully the third thing is also in place, Sattva, which is that you can comprehend the clarity in what I'm saying. So what we find is when all three of these come together, for me to express, there needs to be an imbalance of these things all the time occurring for me to actually express something. And for you to hear it, you're changing with regard to what you're holding on to, to take those things in. Does that make any sense? It makes a lot of sense. And I think the most interesting thing is, as a medic and as a more scientifically trained person, I think if you present anything that you, you label it as imbalance, my natural instinct, and I dare I say, I think our, all of our natural instinct is to balance it, which I think is probably the most interesting one because it almost sounds like my natural instinct is going against the existence, <laughs> how, how, how it's all been created. And but I guess- this is, You're completely right, because actually it's, rather than a salmon going down a stream, you're a salmon going back up a stream. You know, it, it's, 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 it takes the opposite perspective. And that's what I find very fascinating. That's why I think it's absolutely unbelievably complimentary when you come to look at PD, personality disorders, because you're starting to look at them in a very different way. You're not looking at them to say, I can fix this or we can do that. It's what's the best possible thing that we can do. And yeah, does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I think, I think that... That was exactly what I was going to say, is that the, is the precise nature of the conflict of uh, what we want to balance, the natural imbalance of stuff. That may be why we have quite majority now, I have to say, um, personality issues. Because actually in one of the newest um, classification and diagnosis, for the diagnosis, uh, the ICD-11, which I think I previously mentioned, is coming out January 2022. So it's the International Classification of Disease. Um, actually, they've done some statistic um, measurements and things. So personality disorder actually previously been believed about, it's about 10% of general population. They now say it's probably about eight, which in some ways is good. Um, so mild form somewhere between three to 5% of the whole population, moderate 1.5 and severe is uh, 0.2%. Um, so people have no personality dysfunction, if there's such a thing, uh, it's only 40, it's 45%. The most interesting thing that I think very much relate to what we just said is actually there's a new classification called personality difficulty. And I think we can probably all relate to this one quite, quite well. I mean, I personally have some personality difficulties that, um, and the definition of that is uh, sometimes our difficulty or how we not, um, um, completely functioning uh, within the family or social situation or mental health or whatever it is, it can be confining to certain, situ uh, certain situations. So it's not so pervasive. It's not in all aspects of our life, but maybe there's certain triggers, maybe there's some, some situation or condition that we kind of cope less well with. 
Now, the most interesting part is with all the statistics, they said it's about 47 to 48% of the general population. So if you have listened carefully, they are actually the majority. They are more than people who have no personality dysfunction, um, which I think is interesting because um, part of the issues of having a diagnosis or diagnosis for syndrome is it's always a continuum. You have on one side, there's absolutely no problem. There's on the other side, a lot, a lot of problem and there's everything in between. And in most statistical models, usually it's a bell curve. So kind of like on the two extremes, it's usually less and in the middle, there's majority. So some may argue actually both extreme, either of the extremes is actually problematic. You know, you can't have one side that has completely no, no problem and one side completely lots of problem. Actually, the ones in the middle is probably the one that's most normal because that's the majority. So that's how everyone else can most easily relate to. I'm not saying they're without issues, they're just more easy to relate to. And maybe in some way, that's how I feel as well. I think I can feel, relate to people who have a little bit of personality issues a little bit easier because I can see myself in the other person, which comes into the interaction and referencing. Whilst if I meet a modern day Jesus, I probably find it very difficult to deal with because I, 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 I can't really reflect or see myself in that person. I don't have that that much virtue in myself. May I just say, <laughs> does that does that make sense, Colin? It does indeed. It, it really does. Um, what I'd like to do is ask some more questions to you in a minute, if that's okay. Just about personality disorders, um, because I think we can sort of start to break them out into different areas, and I think those areas are quite interesting because we can actually based on some yoga knowledge, we can start to segment them and sort of open them out in a slightly different way. Um, so with what I was discussing before, we, we've, we, we take, we're taking a kind of like an opposite view. We're actually saying that the personality exists because there is an imbalance. Um, and we exist because there's an imbalance, which I, which I think is absolutely fascinating. But you combine this imbalance with this intelligence with this ego with this guna and you it operates through an organic mind and body which has hereditary um let's say hereditary memory and habitual patterns stored within it so we've got this this kind of this this vehicle this this kind of organic body that's given to us um, by the mother and father in this way. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a set of patternings that's passed on this way that we need to be aware of. Um, and this for me becomes important when we look at PD, we start to understand a bit more about this because we've, we've got one aspect, which is the hereditary patterning. The next is that we've also got the way that we're educated as we grow up so there's the the from the moment of birth right the way onwards how we're told to do what we're told to do and actually in there we find that there can be the origin of certain pds um, in this point in time as well so it, it means that there can be certain roots at this point in time where pathways can be taken or, or set at, at you know right the way through our and habitual patterns are set as we as we come to evolve and develop. The next we've got, which I find interesting as well, is that we learn habitual patterns because of, and we cre we create these habitual patterns. We learn this because of the experiences that we have. 
So almost they become coping mechanisms based on having gone through something. So we have these three sets of these things combined with everything else we've talked about that start to come together. And it start, for me, it starts to create some of the fragments. Um, the fragments are what we discussed about who we think we are, who we actually are, who we can be. And these kind of these sort of these things start start to play themselves out in lots of different ways. And we start to see that when we start to add attachment into this, because we hold on to things and desire into this as well, and we add a little bit of fear, we start to get sort of get extremes at either end of the spectrum with regard to personality. And I think that you said something very interesting with regard to personality difficulty, because actually what it means is that when we start to go through some of the classifications of personality disorder i remember whenever you do pathology it's hilarious you kind of go i've i've got that condition that's me you know and when you start to look at it you you go through and you look at things like narcissism you kind of go actually like am i narcissistic or you look at these different things you 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 know you identify with this and so what we can see is we actually can see that many of the traits we find in personality disorders actually we've got most a lot of these within us and they appear in different situations in different contexts so when you look at you know dependent uh, personality disorder or you kind of look at um, some of the other ones like histrionic personality disorder or you know you start to kind of see these things and you kind of oh that's how i react that's how i behave maybe i've got this but a difficulty i like is because actually it's starting to recognize that all of us have these imbalances Every single one of us has imbalances. And one of the big promises that I like from yoga and yoga therapy is this, this, this process over time with regard to not bringing anything back into balance, but actually looking at softening the edges on a lot of the things to understand what it is we can deal with, what it is we can't deal with, what's possible to change, what's possible not to change. And to really understand that and be realistic about it, because I think that there's too many big promises, too many quick fixes. And actually, when you're looking at PD, you're looking at something that is a lifelong journey, which takes a huge amount of courage, massive amount of commitment, not self-interest, but to get the relationship right between oneself and actually the world as well. So it means that. For me, and I, I come across sort of three different scenarios within this. And I, uh, before we kind of hand back to you, the first is me as a therapist. How am I prepared to work with someone? And I work with someone with PD. Or am I working with the PD, with myself, and also someone else who is with a person that has PD? So we find that there is a different approaches based on these three different scenarios. So Stanford, can I ask us a few more questions for about personality disorder? Could we start to expand a little bit more about some personality disorders? Because they really excite me, actually. In a weird way. Lily, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I, I think I think I'll go along with how you expanded on. It's about the interaction and, and, and it's kind of where our traits is, because as I said already, in a 
Western mental health side, we, we think personalities get formed and it's kind of quite stable and constant. Rather not personal. Personally, I agree with that. It's a different matter, but that seems to be the view. However, how we react and behave in different situations, that changes, but it seems to be the core value is the same. Now, the reason why I say I sometimes find that a little bit harder to go along with is because as we have more and more experience and interaction, there are parts of ourselves that shifts as well. It's that adding on to what we exist uh, existingly or already have inside or is actually slowly shifting what we have inside to make small changes which inherently is changing who we are that that is a little bit of a debate um i i i dabble in a few other things as most of you know uh, so I, I sometimes look at it from horoscope point of view like astrology point of view you know all of you i'm sure at some point of your life have you know read newspaper magazine about horoscope and it seems to divide the entire population in 12 type of people and there's only 12 type of people um, because most of the time we only look at our sun sign but that's actually depending on how you aware you're born what time date and so on and so forth it also depends uh, you also have a moon sign and ascending sign as well as a lot of other houses and aspects and things like that what I like about the three signs in a very, very simplistic astro astrological term is sun sign is kind of like the most predominant part of your personality, like kind of how you want to go forward in the world or in some books that I've read, it's kind of like the end goal, end game that you want to have. Um, the moon sign kind of like your dark side where, where kind of where some of your darker desire, hidden secret and things like that. So kind of like where you come from a little bit or where you cast a shadow on. The most interesting I find is usually the ascending because that's the sign that kind of emerges as we more and more develop, as we more and more interact. So some astrologists actually say that as we turn 30s, the ascending sign actually slowly take over and that become more and more of a prominent personality. Now, I know it sounds very, very divergent on what we're talking about, but I think what's, what I find interesting is in a lot of my patients' population, as well as within my friendship group as well, like tw mid 20 to early 30s or mid 30 actually seems to be a time that a lot of personality changes or belief and um kind of career changes happens as well and i i almost felt like maybe our personality is not as i previously said it's get set in stone in late teens early 20s and then you know we just change and interact differently according to the situation i actually felt because in mid-20s to mid-30s, we actually go work, you know, you left university, maybe you met someone, maybe you have a few relationships or one relationship, maybe you have children. Then all these like kind of real life factor really then brings out what's inside a little bit more or actually change what's inside a little bit more. So I often think that is a good period where you can really see a person's personality a lot, lot more. And the importance of that is um, with different traits that seems to be associated with different presentation of the personality disorder. So there's like about four or five big personality traits in the psychiatry world. So one of them is called the neuroticism. So it's um, when it get really quite exaggerated in the personality disorder or this sort dysfunction personality, it brings out like the negative affects. So all the emotions, attitude, maybe self-esteem, uh, seems of low self-esteem, uh, mistrustfulness, uh, emotional dysregulation, uh, so on and so forth. 
but there's also the extroversion. If someone who is quite extrovert and actually take that a little bit more towards the extreme, you get detachment. So they, they kind of so out of the interaction, they, they kind of not within, not within the same plane as us. And sometimes they behave very differently as well. Um, you know, agreeability, uh, agreeableness, uh, if they are quite low on that, you again can get quite antagonistic. So almost like a little bit of that really passionate um, anarchy, like really want to be me against the world, that is that type as well, or that features. Um, our conscientious is the other one. So if it's very low, you have someone who's very disinhibited. So sometimes in some personality disorder, they form relationship very, very easily, can be sexual, can be romantic, can be friendship groups. So that kind of disinhibited um, personality, but also when it's really high conscientious, you get someone almost like very, psychotic not psychotic but uh, very schizoid so very very organized and really want to controlling almost and the reason why it's important to bring all of these into the mix is actually because inherently personality disorder is kind of like a syndrome where it's a collection of different symptoms it's not really one definition or one um, because, oh, you have emotional dysregulation, it must be personality disorder. It's actually a few collection of different things where you slowly get to see actually maybe it's one, maybe it's a few of their personality traits that kind of less functional in our society. And then slowly from that way, you diagnose or they gain the diagnosis of personality disorder. And once again, I think it brings it back to kind of the continuum that I talked about earlier on where the syndromic spread is important because kind of like to make it more visualized, uh, visualizable, um, diabetes, you know, you don't suddenly become diabetic unless you're type 1, so you're born, you know, without the receptors for insulin, so that's different. If you're type 2 diabetes, it, your blood sugar kind of build, 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 your body slowly is less and less able to respond to the sugar until one, until at one stage where like the man-made range make you diabetic, but actually your body slowly become diabetic. Whilst personality disorder, there's kind of some similarity as well, where that's a collection of all these different aspects of your personality that makes the functioning and the interaction much harder. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's interesting because when, when I listened to Colin and what he talked about how there's different layers um, that was taught in the yoga Sankhya Karaka. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, <laughs> so it, a lot of the time we operate with the ego. That's kind of what Freud has talked a lot about as well, just about the ego, the super ego, the it, the ID. Um, but actually it's the deeper awareness that is quite, quite important. And somehow, sometimes it's not as important like stressed in, in 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 our practice although the the therapeutic side of it we we try to bring more and more awareness uh back into patients who suffer from these disorder especially mental health issues but i think the awareness bit sometimes the bit that we don't teach or talk about so so much sorry i kind of rambled on for about five ten minutes colin is that okay <laughs> yeah that, i mean what you've done is that you've um it, it, hopefully it, it, to remove the labels I think becomes very important um, there's I think there's a someone said to me recently there's a sense of relief having you know having a diagnosis being being diagnosed with something but then 
there becomes a point that it, that it becomes an issue. And so when we start to look at different behaviours, because it, it's from the, like you mentioned, it's the relationship of behaviours, often out into the world and also to ourselves, that we start to see that there are these disorders in place. So if we take um, you know, patterns of that are unstable, I mean, unstable variable patterns. It, it, for me, and I have to say this, is that, and according to Yoga and Sankhya, that personality disorders are all predictable. It's kind of interesting because it means that whether it's um, obsessive personality disorder, whether it's dependent personality disorder, whether it's borderline personality disorder, they've all got different classifications, but they take routes and pathways based on the interactions that the person has with the outside world and also with themselves. And so almost in a way, there is a huge amount of predictability within this. And that is one of the key, well, the keys for actually coming to work with these things as well. Um, so if we, if we take often patterns of instability or intense relationships, so really, 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 really intense relationships, and then sort of fluctuating of extremes within those relationships, you, you start to, I, I, I cut away again and again on the surface, all the different stories and dramas that are unfolding. So people will come with, 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 with stories and dramas like, you're not going to believe what happened. And, and you know, it, and then they'll have, they'll, they'll go to lift someone up and they'll throw them down. Then they'll, what they'll do is they'll be like, oh, I've done this. It's, it's absolutely, I, I'm so dreadful. It's this. And then they'll self-sabotage themselves by taking, you know, drugs or doing something else. And then it, it, it will, there'll be these cycles of things that will go on and they'll play out with abandonment issues. And so you'll start to see all these kind of things happening. And it's very easy to get too involved in the story, to get too involved in the drama, and to get, for me, to get too involved in, in all these things that are happening. But if we start to step back from it, we start to break it down into rajas and tamas, to break it down into attachment and desire, to break it down into where the possibility of some of these things have come from, and the awareness of the possibility where some of these things come from. And also to start to look at these things as where the pathways are going wrong with regard to the interactions that people are having, we can start to make some groundwork. Does that, I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. And, and can I ask, because I think that quite a few features of PD that I come across more in my clinical practice. I'm going to ask to see maybe if you have the answer for it, uh, what the causes for them may be. So um, as I said already, emotional dysregulation. Um, so it's not, it's not just that experience having a really labile emotion, which a lot of us probably gone through one time or another in life, but it's kind of not having the ability to regulate them. And usually the main feature that I see from that usually is anger, uh, which we have talked about before. Um, another one is the tendency to almost like self-harm or even suicidal attempts. That seems to be another big one that I see quite often. Mm -hmm. And the last one, which usually get branded to be manipulation, the tendency or the, the, the likelihood to manip manipulate other, like what you said earlier on, you know, using the stories and kind of get you drawn in and actually, before you know it, 
you're deep into you know someone else's life but I often see that also an issue of control as well they step into the room and they won't be the one who actually kind of have the upper hand of it can you do you mind expanding a little bit more of like kind of maybe from the gunas point of view or whatever other point of view you want to say like where did these common features I see come from definitely um when we start to look at um each of these different personalities you just discussed so you've got let's take anger um and you've got one disorder which is a passive aggressive personality disorder you know you've got this disorder where what's happening is that there is negative attitudes there's a kind of like um you know a muttering under the breath there is resistance to anything routine and social um someone is is quite sulky and argumentative they are you know they're envious and resentful they they voice these things but this is all on the surface underneath it um underneath what's happening is that there is something that they want there anger is desire that hasn't been fulfilled so it means that it's, 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 I want something, but that something hasn't been fulfilled. And it means that I'm holding on to something as well. So in order for someone to be passive, to turn something into themselves, that actually it starts to corrode them and create a negative thinking as it moves outwards, there has to be an attachment, which we have to understand what someone is holding on to, and they have to want something as well. And so for me, these these two things that become very important. And what I'm doing is I'm cutting away the, I'm not interested in the anger on the surface. I'm not interested in the, the snipey comments. I'm not interested in the other bits and pieces. I'm understanding why is someone turning their sword, which is a powerful thing that we use to defend ourselves or to attack someone else onto themselves. So we've got the capacity to turn our sword onto ourselves and attack ourselves, which is what some people do. Now, other people, let's say if you take a BPD, borderline personality disorder, is you've got extreme violence and anger that comes out for almost for no reason whatsoever. And again, it's it's a very similar thing. It's almost an it's 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 it's, it's complete violence. And if we look at it, it's where Rajas is not supported by Tamas. So what this means is that in order for if I want something, I hold on to what I want. Is there's a there's a, a structure that kind of I want something and I hold on to it. These two things are kind of supporting one another. You take the support away, and suddenly you get unleashed violence. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So what we start to do is in with yoga and yoga therapy, we start to understand what is there, what's missing, what's not supporting what in order to understand what questions we ask, what practices we give, how far do we go? What do we, how do we educate someone? How do we give them different awarenesses of how they're interacting with themselves and with other people? So if you have someone that's constantly turning a knife onto themselves, like passively, you know, I, I'm, I'm turning around and go, well, why did you just stab yourself? They go, well, what do you mean? Well, because you are doing, you know, why are you just turning this onto yourself again and again? Because this is a mechanism that you do in order to do something else. And some people do it to get attention. So they turn it onto themselves like that. And it's all to deflect from something else. So it becomes a clever mechanism that people are playing out and everyone starts to buy into that. Do you know what I mean by this? 
yeah it's you getting more and more drawn in again yeah and, and so what what happens is for me this this links very much back to how people learn to survive and get the attention they need or also not just the attention but also the feeling of isolation that makes them feel comfortable as well so they actually don't want to be seen within the whole of this so they will use these techniques to distract from actually being seen through they really are i think that's probably why a lot of kind of the quotation which we try to kind of myth bust a little bit in our promotional material as well um where there's a lot of linkage between uh, abuse or the victims of abuse to personality disorder as well because obviously that there is a clear linkage you can see but i think you just beautifully explain why is that's not always the case there's a way of coming away from the abuse and actually not sustaining personality disorder as a result but there's also a situation where you you don't have any abuse in your life or at least not not the most obvious obviously physical or sexual abuse and you actually still develop personality disorder down the line as well as you said that can be genetic factor it can be brain chemical brain pathway uh neuroplasticity there's a lot of other environmental factors as well but i think one of the main thing is as you said is from the interaction how we perceive the the relationship and attachment that is definitely a big one and and that itself is a whole lot of question about parenting nature and nurture and as well as schooling and all the rest of it which I don't think we're going to go into tonight um I I I like when you said earlier on there's no quick fix because I think in the medical world we we do use quick fix because they they are needed we do see the slightly more severe side some of the time like i said we we will see people who are acutely suicidal uh although i said earlier on personality disorder only make up about eight percent or ten percent of the general population Mm. it actually exists about 40 to 50 percent of uh, patients with mental health disorder in general so we do see them you know co-presenting with a lot of other mental health issues as well like depression like psychotic breakdowns schizophrenia um bipolar disorder ocd so on and so forth so there are situations where actually medicine do help like um a low dose of antipsychotic is very useful for paranoia especially paranoia type antidepressant obviously if there's a lot of negative um affect um symptoms that will be very very useful as well as some stabilizer as well as so like lithium sometimes can get used valpric can get used mm. um but like you said they are not they they don't really touch the core they don't really touch the cause of it and I've, i i've met quite a few cases and i know people personally who at the acute phase find them very very useful but actually going forward they sometimes in some way can get can be a little bit more damaging um if any one of you ever seen anything about personality or bpd borderline personality disorder on social media that there seems to be some trash talking about the medicine as well because a lot of the time with the mood stabilizer or the antidepressant or antipsychotic, actually one of the biggest side effects or actually desired effect is a, a bit of numbing. So that they, they have a bit more numbing of their mood, which in a Q phase, very, very important and useful, but later on going forward can be not so helpful because as Colin said, it's about living and learning and kind of keep reflecting and interacting with your own personality and how to make that work into the world, whilst numbing actually kind of go opposite to that. You, you, you don't get to 
build and develop that self-awareness and um, kind of coping mechanism or methodology or techniques to go outward into the world and with other people. Numbing's almost make you withdrawn a little bit more. And I think that is why sometimes I feel medicine very, very useful. Definitely, uh, especially in that acute phase when they are harming themselves or harming other people um, in whatever way we're talking about. Uh, but going forward, I think definitely more a therapeutic relationship will be useful. Um, I know Colin wants to talk a little bit more about that as well, but I think, let me just share one quick personal experience, which is when I've definitely met and <laughs> talked to quite a few patients with personality disorder. And sometimes the reason why I asked about anger earlier on is because that anger that they bring to the space can be quite intense and almost difficult to bear with. Uh, especially as uh, from a push professional point of view, we want to almost stay as balanced as we can be, you know, as, as not blunt, not flat, but, but as stable as we can be. And with an anger personality, sometimes it can be very difficult to interact with because if you don't interact properly, uh, even, even if you're trying to be very professional, that can agitate them even more. But you don't, I don't also want to kind of play off with the anger because, you know, as Colin said, you're kind of getting more and more sucked in. And what I've learned from psychiatry actually is to recognize how that anger lands onto myself. Um, what am I feeling at that point? Um, am I getting angry as well? Am I getting frustrated? Am I getting scared? Am I getting um, helpless myself? And almost in some way, once I have enough practice, I actually kind of reflect that into the space as well. I say, well, I can see that you've been very angry, which is kind of the normal standard thing that we say. But then my follow-up now will be, this is actually making me feeling a little bit uncomfortable, quite, quite scared or quite frustrated. Because I now learned the value is with that reflection, one, it made my interaction with the patient a little bit kind of more real, a little bit more realistic instead of just a, professional um, relationship, but also in some way, I hope as a therapeutic sense, it can reflect on how their other relationship might play off the way that they did. Um, now, obviously I, I don't keep playing on, on and keep going, carrying on with my frustrations and, you know, helplessness. I have still have to be very, very stable, but I, I hopefully that reminder of what I'm feeling in my body will be helpful for them. Um, again, this may be a good approach for me now, may not be a good approach in five, 10 years time. So don't say this, you know, this come from me and this is the way to go. Uh, this is just some personal experience. But Colin, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your therapeutic sense as a yoga therapist? I really like what you said. Um, because one of the telltale signs that PD is involved because quite often as a, as a therapist, um, a person doesn't come to you directly for PD, they actually come for something else. Um, so they come for something else and then there's either they're exposed to a person with PD and they're close as an interpersonal relationship with a person with PD, which is causing complications and issues. Or what's happening is the person with PD is coming to you as part of something to do with the either the drama 
the fear, the paranoia, the any of the other anxieties around a situation, but it's part of something much, much bigger. And so it, for me, the, it, what you just said was beautiful because it, it, there's a feeling that's left in me because of this. It, it means that it, it, in the first instance, when I meet someone, almost that you know that you're dealing with PD because there's this, um, you're, you're, you're left with a, a kind of like a dreadful aftertaste. The aftertaste is not good. And this is, is quite important because it means that you understand that PD is involved and it, it's a telltale sign that you don't feel good afterwards. And it means that boundaries are one of the most crucial things. Um, one of the most, most crucial things that you're actually going to need to put into place. It, it, it means that um, you watch very, 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 very carefully. Um, because someone's either coming for a condition or they're coming for something else. They, um, the patterning that they're playing out is actually quite predictable, but you can't see all of what they're playing out at that moment in time. So it means that you need to spend a lot of time um, building a relationship with them because it's only through a trusting relationship that you can actually start to create some effect. The greatest success successes that I've had are not about targeting the situation head on. Sounds very strange, but many PD doesn't don't want to be busted for being PD. <laughs> Just, do you know what I mean by that? Yes, they want, they want the diagnosis to begin with, but later on, they don't want to, to be keep, keeping the label, so to speak. So it, it means that I, I, I've, um, as a yoga therapist, you need to understand chapter three of Yoga Sutra, inside and out and back to front. Um, there's, there's some interesting steps in chapter three of Yoga Sutra 317. Um, is one of the starting points that I come to work with with people because it it, it, it's, it's, it says it's, it's a starting point of all meditative practices. And the starting point of all meditative practices is the ability to understand words, understand the essence of a word, and also the feeling that's indicative of the word that is actually being used. So it's separating these three things out. Now, why this is, quite interesting and quite important is that often a lot of the reactions that happen between people that trigger these ups and downs within these disorders are because of how we interpret words, how we associate meanings to things and how we associate feelings with those things as well. So for me this is almost the beginning point. It's, it's beginning to start to work with people to pose questions, to ask questions because each PD is very, very different. And it's, it's a completely individualized approach. And the routine is completely individualized as well. Um, it, it means that, that what I'm doing is I'm actually, I'm getting them to unpack their own confusion and their own false attribution with the use of stories, with the use of examples, and with the use sometimes what I also do quite often with people is I go through yoga texts as well. 
And I go through the yoga text and give translation, give stories on that, and I ask them to give stories on it. And what that does is it starts to, it means that I'm not sitting there and going, you know what, you've got this, this, this. It's not my job to do. But I need to give them practices and I need to give them the insight into things which start to begin to make them understand that the word that they hear from someone else that triggers them to either be manipulative or to be controlling or to be, you know, aggressive or to be, to roll over and be very passive, you know, all these different things. What, what's, what's, how do they attribute a meaning to that word and how does that create a feeling? And you have to remember that when we don't know something, we attribute a meaning and a feeling to it without actually recognizing it. So in fact, we create responses based on the thought of how we want to create a response. So, or a memory of a past response. So it kind of, it's actually mind blowing when you come to see it in operation, because you ask people, well, how, why did you, you know, this person has done this, this and this. Why are you suddenly feeling very sorry for them? And you're feeling very empathetic and compassionate for them, but actually you should be really pissed and angry at them. And so we start to see how people understand words, how they understand the meanings of words, how they understand the feelings, and then how actually we make assumptions that people have the same use of words in the same way that we do, but they and they mean the same thing that we do, but they actually don't. And then we have, they have the same feelings that we have with those words, but actually they don't. Do you see what I mean? So it starts to be, this for me is the starting point, and this is chapter three of Yoga Sutra. It's, we're starting to use very sophisticated techniques in yoga therapy where we're posing questions in a, in a very open way, in a trusting relationship where someone can get the answers themselves, but from this framework. 318 is the, is the next one that I come to look at. And it's about understanding, 318 is about getting knowledge in the present of something that you've done. So it's an awareness of something that you've done, which then gives you an understanding of what's happened in the past. Because if I can see what I've done in the present, you know, if I've shouted at someone and raised my voice, and I've gone, you know, someone says, don't shout at me, I'm not shouting. You know, if I'm aware that I'm, you know, I, I've created that awareness in the present, I suddenly begin to understand the past and, and lots of well, the past aspect comes in. But it means that I can also understand the possibility of the future, but I can also do something about it. So this for me is, is you can see 318 and how we then bring this and build this into the whole thing, I think also becomes important as well. And 319 is about taking a different approach to each situation. So for me, it's about understanding the repeated patterns that go in people's lives so whether it's bpd whether it's narcissistic it's or dealing with narcissism it's what's the patterning that people take associated with this because in, in yoga we can only change three things and, and chapter three is all about change it's about how you affect change and it gives three different types of change and how three different types of change occur and it also talks about something very interesting which is that you can change the situation and the situation is the very easiest thing to change. You can work with time to create change as well. And you can work with regard to changing the dharma with the rules that are in place. 
The easiest thing to change is a situation. The hardest thing to change is the rules that we impose on things. But we have to use the situation and the time frame to work with the rules. And the rules are the way that we play out the personality disorder quite often. So it just, it, it, this is what chapter three talks about. And it's, it's kind of, I think it's quite interesting. Absolutely. And I think, so just reflecting a little bit on what Darren's sharing as well, he's talking about how uh, accepting ourselves in a particular stage in life can relieve the anger and the frustration by taking away the power of unfulfilled desire. And it's, to, it's about accepting ourselves, situation, relationship that can actually help, not that it's easy to do. And I almost felt like uh, my practice or understanding or trying to read uh, Yoga Sutra is quite um there's some parallels of about helping people or you know um having a person who live with personality disorder as your client or as your patient because i think one caveat uh, one thing that i would definitely share again from my personal experiences you can definitely get very frustrated because you felt like you're not really making a lot of difference or you're making a lot of big changes into that person no matter how hard you tried now, of course, as Darren was saying as well, and as Colin had been saying all day, uh, all night, um, to actually get ourselves to have the awareness and acceptance of who we are and how to move forward from there, it takes a very skillful hand or therapist to help. But also a lot of the time, most often that I can see is actually take many, many skillful hands and therapists to get there. It's not just one person's job. It's kind of like how I learn and trying to read uh, Yoga Sutra. It's not one translation that I read them explain everything beautifully. I mean, all of the translations I have are beautiful, but I, I felt like it's every single different translation that every single teacher that, you know, translate the sutra for me, I get a little bit more understanding, a bit more awareness. And hopefully at some stage in my life and practice, I'll get to read one sutra, that actually, one translation that, wow, voila, this is, uh, now I get it, now I get the whole full chapter. I, I'm not sure if that will happen in this lifetime, but I would know as well, that journey comes with many, many teachers, many other different translations. And I think as a therapist, or you, you may be yoga teacher, you may be yoga, a medical professional, um, you know, that disheartened and frustrating feeling is shared amongst all of ourselves as well. And knowing that actually, you know, if you hold good intention and you're trying to help, you will make the difference. It's just that the difference needs to be collected and hopefully at some stage you will flower into actually a, a, a good enough stable place for that person that you're trying to help. Um, so yeah, I think I think that probably will be my summary for tonight. <laughs> is that okay, Colin? It is. Um, I, I, for me, the, the, the question is, is also some things that uh, there are some things we can change and there's also some things that we can't change. And as Darren says, acceptance is a, is a very interesting journey because um, it is a journey to acceptance. It really is. It's not that you just you have to accept. It's that in rollover, it, there's, there's a journey towards actually coming to a point of acceptance. So there are some things we can change, some things we can't change. Um, there isn't a magic bullet for any disorder. And I think that all of us are in agreement is that the best that we can do is to soften the edges. Um, and, and the way is gonna be different according to each different personality. Um, but to be careful of the, 
tools and approaches that we use because each different route that we take within our lives affects our evolution and either it exaggerates the situation or it, we know that we're going in a good direction because things start to soften a little. So I, I think we've, we've begun to touch on PD. Um, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, to do more and more and more on that because I think it's, a, it's, it, it, it's, it's an amazing subject. And when you start to go through the, both Yoga Sutra and Sankhya Karika, you can see how, and Sankhya Karika, interesting enough, in, I think it's, 46 to 50, um, it actually describes that there becomes 50 mistakes, 50 traps that occur, which, and eight of them are imbalances of ego, which relate directly to personality disorder. So it's kind of interesting. So we're going to save that up for next time, whenever we talk about personality disorder again then. Yeah, so it's interesting, but the whole, um, the, 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 I would say the approach is, is a very sophisticated approach is found within chapter three of Yoga Sutra and chapter four. Um, my goodness me, it's eight o'clock. I just want to say thank you so much to all of you for joining tonight. Um, uh, I hope you found this interesting. It, it's one of those subjects that I think we can just kind of, I'd love to have a time where we can actually just ask questions and we can talk about this and just kind of, um, I wonder if we can do that in the future. Just maybe do something where we come together and maybe do a little bit extra at the end where we can start to have an open discussion about something. Um, that would be fantastic. But thank you for showing up tonight. Thank you, you've been a great audience as always. What are we doing next time? Uh, two weeks time, I think we talk about quality of life, which... Wow. Another big subject, <laughs> but we'll, we'll try. We'll try. I'll try my best. Colin would just be amazing. Is, is it? Is it you that? Um, is it? Is it you that kind of comes up with these subjects? I, I, I think we can share the blame on this one. <laughs> you are affecting my quality of life. You know. <laughs> we will leave them guessing, rather for the better or for the worse. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely for the better. Oh, thank you. And you too, of course. Thank you so much. And hopefully see you in two weeks time. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.